Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your Fans, welcome to the Lucas Radio Network. And welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we wrap up 2022 in racing. Uh, this is our last show of the year. We'll be back with you round about oh, Rolex 24 time. But uh, tonight I've got uh, Louise and Richard joining me as always. And I've also got my good friend Mark Dill, author and race historian, who's uh, got a new project that. Um, that uh that i want to hear a little more about so uh mark thank you for joining us tonight so mark is the author of legend of the first super speedway uh which is a book that's how long has that book been out it's about, uh, a year about a year right so now you've written a companion book to it um aimed at uh young people i know you have young grandchildren so writing a children's book probably probably seemed like something really fun to do yeah, absolutely. And, you know, clearly I've got one grandson and he's crazy about cars from the day he was born. I mean, seriously, that <laughs> kid probably the 10th, one of the top 10 words, first 10 words he spoke was cars, cars. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't brainwash him. He came out <laughs> uh, into the world with that attitude and that's wonderful. And I've enjoyed it. In fact, he, uh, Attended his first Indy 500, uh, five years old, first Indy 500 uh, this past May. And I also attended and it was my 50th. So wow. uh, we're, we bookend, uh, bookended that one. Nice, so nice. So let's, so let's talk about the, the new book. I know a okay. lot of, uh, a lot of what you've uh, written in the past goes into some great detail. There's a lot of research. So um how did you kind of, uh, what was the process like to just try to, oh, I, I don't know what the word is, try to simplify uh, all the mm -hmm. stuff so it's uh, so it's easy for um, for a child to understand, but at the same time, be very informative? Yeah, I, and I had a couple of people who knew me and had read the book uh, that were, you know, good friends. And and uh, when I told them I was finishing up a child child's edition of the same subject you know like well how are you gonna do that and i was like i don't know i i just sat down and started writing it and i tried i also got some advice from my daughter who is a uh a psychologist and she has her own practice and she's had a lot of experience in child development so um i put a 
put the manuscript in front of her and she critiqued it. I wasn't too far off, but she gave me a lot of helpful, um, you know, helpful tips. And um, I took the essential story. It's almost like the executive summary, but it's written in kid-friendly terms of, of the book. And, you know, there are uh, occasional, you know, there's language in there that you wouldn't say to a child. There's uh, suggestive situations that that the boys in the book get themselves into because that's what they actually did. And uh, so I wanted to tell that story to adult readers. But uh, for the kids, it's really a book about being determined and self-confident and believing in yourself to to pursue something and i think in particular my two favorite characters uh barney oldfield and carl fisher are prime examples of that i mean they took a lot of guff from a lot of people and they just kept their heads down and kept going and look what happened i mean uh speedway is the most famous certainly in america and uh still holds uh this mega sporting event every may i mean yeah that's a wonderful lesson for any any child to you know say that if you uh if you are determined and work hard your dreams can come true you know so that's uh, i think that's really wonderful that you're putting putting that that message out there now uh, obviously with a child's book, I I'm sure you've, uh, worked with an illustrator. Yeah. And thank you. Um, uh, Mary Lynn Smith, uh, who's a young lady was in my daughter's social circle and we worked out a deal with her and it's really just in terms of revenue share. And, uh, she, this is her first children's book. And so she was excited to put this on her resume and um, all the feedback I've gotten from her work is very, uh, you know, very much full of praise. And we certainly were very happy with it. My wife and I, who also was a big help. Um, and, uh, you know, Mary Beth, we didn't have to go through too many cycles on the, on the illustrations. There were a couple that I thought didn't quite uh you know d demonstrate or portray the time period so we asked her to make some changes and she did and and the results excellent so um i think that that's the kind of thing that draws children in and the book is really written for probably uh kids 7 to 9 to to be able to just sit down and read it themselves but it's also a great book for uh, I'm going to do a, a a reading, I think, next week to uh, my grandson's kindergarten class. And uh, they're all excited and they're putting it in their library. And I'm, I'm very pleased with that. And um, I think that when you're reading the book to younger kids who who haven't really begun to read yet, the illustrations are particularly important because you can talk to the illustrations. You don't have to uh, encourage them to find the patience to listen to you read, um, but you can 
take page by page and explain what's going on. And I think the illustrations are such that they'll draw the kids in. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, I, I, you know, I was introduced to uh, auto racing at a very young age. Uh, you know, I have, uh, you know, my family owns a race team. Uh, you know, my uncle's a race car driver still is. He's been going since, uh, I, I want to say Maloney racing is established 1967 and that's the same year I was born. So, so I've, I've been around it forever and I loved it as a little kid and I loved everything about it. You know, I like to have build model cars, you know, play with matchbox cars, uh, all those sort of things. But, uh, uh, but I was really big into the books, you know what I mean? And, and mm -hmm. my uncle had a large collection of books and I would, I would, you know, largely look at the pictures. So, but there really wasn't anything out there that was kind of written towards, you know, seven to nine year old, uh, when I was young, there, there, mm -hmm. there may have been, but, uh, it wasn't there. So I think that's a really wonderful thing you're doing. So, uh, with that being said, how are the sales of your current book? The, the, um, the original book, the legend of the first super speedway. I, I, I believe that you're uh, on a second edition already. Is that correct? No, not a second edition. We're talking about doing that. And um, this time come back with some, you know, sections as you find in a lot of books uh, of photographs, um, all the images, believe it or not, that are in the original book were images I found on, uh, library microfilm as I ruined my eyesight sifting through years and years and years and I would digitize those things and clean them up a little bit and uh, I call them image artifacts but uh, in many cases those original photos don't exist anymore so the only record that the photo was ever taken is in the microfilm and I put a lot of that as you know on my uh, firstsuperspeedway.com site <clears throat> and uh, so uh, the I think the photo I had a couple of people ask me about this you know getting photos from like the Henry Ford or the Speedway Museum or some other sources um, and having sections of pictures so that's what we're looking at for a second edition of the original book and as far as sales go um, I didn't do it to put kids through college. That's already been done. Uh, but we have more than broke even on that. And we're probably inching up close to around 8,000 books sold. And, uh, you know, for an independent author with, uh, uh you know, with his first book, I, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it, it's gone over pretty well. I mean, I, I, I know you're very adamant about promoting it. I, I see, uh, you know, you've got your own Facebook group, Legend of the First Super Speedway group. You've got a lot of folks in there. You guys have a lot of great discussions uh, about the early days. And, and there are a lot of folks who would just really enjoy the history of the sport as well as, as the current sport. And, yeah, again, I think it's important for us to – uh, remember the history and know where how it started and when it started and and who were the the movers and shakers in the early days so i, I really appreciate what uh the sort of things you're doing here keeping that alive digitizing those photos that otherwise nobody may ever have seen you know, right. especially some of those old newspaper photos you know which is 
you know, most of those are public domain, but they don't, like you said, they don't exist until you, until you dig them up and uh, clean them up and, and then share them to a whole new uh, generation. And some of, some of your stuff is, you know, more than a hundred years old. Oh yeah. Easily. I mean, easily, you know, I yeah. Got, yeah. I go back into the 1890s. Uh, not a lot of that decade, but a little bit. And uh, you know, a lot of it is, well, it spans the book. I mean, the, the really old stuff is, uh, you know, roughly 1902 to 1910. And, um, uh, you know, time flies. I, that's, you know, you know, 120 years now. And, uh, I do want to make a point since you brought that up. And I think it's, it, it, I haven't communicated it effectively, but what, uh, the subtitle of my original book was the uh, battle for the soul of American auto racing. And I, I feel like, and I haven't seen anybody else do this, and I hope that doesn't sound arrogant, but to connect the dots of all the salient events that were going on up to the construction and the brick paving of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in the United States. And it was a, it was a culture war. Um, the Eastern establishment, um, were Eurocentric and that's where the AAA was. And they viewed those in the West. And in that case, in those days, Indiana was the West. It was, uh, derisively people out there were referred to as, uh, Westerners. That was not a compliment. And, uh, you know, who are these yahoos running around on these dirt horse track ovals and, you know, what are they doing? And their cars are kind of junky. We've got Mercedes and Fiat and, you know, Panhard and Dirac, uh, you know, Europeans were light years ahead of the Americans, but Americans out in the Midwest were, you know, pretty determined and they, um, you know, they eventually built cars that uh, could compete with the Europeans. And and so this culture war that was going on, there was a, a, a real push to eliminate oval track racing in 1905. And it nearly happened. And uh, Carl Fisher once said that Barney Oldfield had carried uh, oval track racing, and they just called it track racing back then, on his back, almost singing single-handedly. And I think there's, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. So there's this, the, all these dots are connected and I'm not sure how many people, I haven't seen anybody else talk about this. And, uh, and I, I think it's a good insight that should be provocative to people that are enthusiasts about the sport and, and its history. And I, I also feel like, how can you really love the sport if you don't know its history? Uh, the Indy 500, for example, still rides on the momentum that Carl Fisher and his partners created way back in 1909. Uh, it just wouldn't be, it wouldn't have the significance it has today without that history. And so I, I like to give tribute to those guys. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it hadn't been such a, an event before, you know, the world wars, uh, nobody might have picked it up after the fact. You know, that's that, right. that, 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 you know, Holman, Holman wanted to bring something back that was very special. Um, and, and, you know, that was the second birth of the speedway there. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, you get to that mid century and a lot, you know, the automobile business in, in Indiana had largely been decimated. Everything was concentrated in Detroit and, um, in the, Indianapolis in particular had been this robust high tech center, not unlike there's an analogy to Silicon Valley in those, those very early days. And uh, everybody was jumping around job to job. And there was roughly 20 car manufacturers in Indy and, and all of that was gone by, or pretty much all of it was gone by the mid century uh, so you look at a guy like Tony Holman and of course, Wilbur Shaw, they recognized that the one big thing Indiana had at that point in time was the Indy 500. And without that, it was, you know, nothing wrong with growing corn, but that would be about the only action. True. Nothing wrong with going, growing corn. That's funny, Mark. <laughs> like that. I like corn. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Yeah. Uh, now, Richard, Louise, you have you have anything you want to ask Mark about? Yeah, I was gonna slightly add. I was gonna briefly mention the Hoosiers, but that's more of a certain age group doing the sport. Like that's more or less everybody else are not. It's, you have a valid point about the corn thing. So good thing you mentioned that before I said something about basketball or football related as far as <laughs> the state of Indiana, what they had as far as people actually doing stuff or more <clears throat> investment on it. But no, the question that I have, honestly, you mentioned about the illustration aspect when it comes to word choices, explaining things from obviously from a big elaborate historical book to a children's book, how does an author go through that transition to going try to make it informative yet for an age group like children. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to say it was easy, but I, I, I didn't agonize over it as much as I thought I would when I started. And uh, obviously I know the story and the, the two books, it's basically the same story, but obviously the children's book is delivered at a level um, that would engage kids and and also teach them. I mean, this is history, history, not just of racing and cars, but just American history. And um, I I just tried to think like a, like basically a third grader and uh, and just always be cognizant cognizant of who my audience was and. You know, you really be letting them down if you, um, you know, if you didn't have the right vocabulary and the right messages. And I think the pictures are so important because kids react to that. And that's what draws them into the words. They want to know well, what's that picture? What what is the story behind that picture? And uh, so they'll. If intrigued, if they're intrigued enough, they'll sit and listen. And 
Um, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm rambling, but I just tried to think like a third grader, which for a guy like me, that probably isn't that tough. Yeah, I would imagine that it's it's, it's a really fine line between, um, you, you know, trying to get the right vocabulary uh, to young people to where you don't feel like you're talking down to them. You know, yeah. you, you, you've got to make it. So uh, and, and, and I admire anybody that can that can do that. I, I've you know written things for years, but I've never really been able to write effectively for children. So, uh, uh, you know, you know, by all by all accounts, your book has turned out really well. Um, you know, I wish you well with the, the reading. And uh, Richard, did you have anything to to jump in with her? I think it's interesting. You touched on it a little bit there. You know, this, <clears throat> excuse me, as much as we as motorsport fans sort of follow, um, you know, the Indy 500 or whatever sporting event it may be, um, you know, the Indy 500 really has defined a, a city and an estate for probably the last hundred years or so. And, you know, probably more so. I can't think of many other cities that are so closely identified to a single sporting event as Indianapolis, really. Um, you know, others are, you know, obviously, you know, re renowned for their teams per se, but an actual event, I, I struggle, you know, in, in North America anyway, to, to correlate a, 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 uh, an event and a city in such a, a close way that's defined the, the history of the city. Uh, you know, for the last hundred years. That's a that's a good comment, and I I'd say the closest is the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, but yeah, and I, if I can just add a a thought um, that uh, you know it, it may sound oh, like some overreach, but I would like to encourage more people to do things like this because I don't think there's enough. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. So I switched to Boost Mobile and got this free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Why do you think they call it the Galaxy? Maybe because the Samsung Galaxy A23 has a huge screen, and galaxies are huge gravitationally bound systems of stars rotating around a supermassive black hole. And the phone is free? When you switch to Boost Mobile. Cool. You lost me at gravitationally bound. Switch to Boost and get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. Limited time offer while supplies last. New customers only. Excludes tax. One device offer per line. Only available on certain networks. 5G not available everywhere. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. Um, product aimed at engaging youngsters in the sport. And we all love the sport and we want it to grow and be healthy into the future. And, um, it, you know, I... I I get concerned. I mean, basically, there's only about forty thousand ticket uh, purchasers for the Indy Five Hundred. They buy in multiples and share with their family. And so, when you really look at it, you can see a vulnerability there. And we just need to get more kids, more young people excited about it. Um, and and more than just 
coming to a party. Party's great, but um, get, give yourself some substance, something you can sink your teeth into and, and lay in that foundation. You know, Frank, I didn't come from a racing family. I was born in Indianapolis and there was just something uh, my family was so, so about it. I just, you know, everybody in Indy paid attention because it was, as, as you were saying, just about the only game in town at that time. And, uh, I, but I just was enthralled in it and I drew my parents into it because they were, you know, wanting to know what I was so excited about and, uh, took it from there. So, um, but whatever sparks that kid, uh, that's crucial to growing the sport. Oh, you're absolutely right, Mark. Now, before we let you go, because I know you've uh, your wife's making you dinner, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, I do want you to uh, go ahead and let us know uh, where both your books can be purchased. Okay. All right. Well, uh, you go to markgdill.com. And I have autographed copies there, both books. And uh, and frankly, I make a bigger profit from per people who perch on on my site. But you can also get um, get it at the major retailers like Amazon, which it seems everybody defaults to. But also Target, <laughs> Walmart, Barnes and Noble. Um, so uh, those are the you know the likely suspects. And uh, I've had a lot of nice reviews on Amazon. I really appreciate. And uh, that's, how, that's how you get a hold of one. All right. So Mark G. Dill, D-I-L-L.com uh, is where you'd be able to go ahead and buy that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Jeff Bezos has enough money to go to Mars. So uh, Mark could <laughs> use it to get the grandchild into college. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, and we've yeah, got. So. You can get access to a store we've done with the company called Spreadshirt, um, and we have uh, first Super Speedway, Legend of First Super Speedway apparel and and accessories, mugs, pint glass. So, oh yeah, I think that's really cool. We and we just started uh, selling uh, that kind of gear if you will uh using the children's book art um the original with our logo is still uh very much uh, evident in the store but uh now we've got this these uh back when i go to my my grandson's kindergarten class to read he's gonna wear a t-shirt with um the uh, Blitz and Benz, the same image that's on the back of the book. Oh, nice. That'll be fun. All right, Mark. Well, listen, I want to wish you the best of holidays uh, to you and your family. I want to wish you the best with the new book. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on. I always enjoy uh, listening to uh, anybody that's so engaged in the, um, the, the past of the sport. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so once we get up and rolling next season, um, well, we'll have you on again sometime and, uh, chat about, uh, how things are going and, and what your next project might be. Well, that's good. Cause I am working on one and I no. also want to thank, thank you, Frank, um, 
for being active on, you mentioned the first super speedway group Facebook page. Uh, you've made some excellent contributions. And um, so I just always appreciate your good humor and your friendship. And it's an honor to be on your show. All right. Well, thank you so much, my friend. All right. We'll okay. talk. We'll talk soon. Have a great night. You too. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yep. Same thank to you. you. All right, fellas. So we did have one more race before the season ended up. Formula One, another win for Max. Uh, and as we speculated, Lewis Hamilton went winless uh, and finished yeah. a, a dismal sixth in the championship. So yeah. um, <clears throat> I don't think even our bold predictions from last year would have uh, amounted to that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been that bold. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I tell you. Um, yeah, so uh, Richard, take us through. Take us through the final Grand Prix of the year, and then we'll then we'll start our wrap up of uh, uh, of the year in total. Yep. So uh, return to uh, Abu Dhabi uh, a year on from uh, a pretty uh, controversial culmination of the 2021 championship and this was obviously everything was all sewn up and uh sound sealed and delivered to uh, to max uh, and red bull to win both championships um a couple of little little subplots going on you know the battle between checo and charles to uh, to get that second place both tied on points going into um going into the weekend um throughout practice and and, and qualifying uh, you know, the Red Bull slowly gained momentum and traction throughout the weekend. And Max ended up taking a dominant pole position by, by almost a quarter of a second, which is probably the largest margin of the year, I think, in, in some ways. It was, uh, without knowing the numbers, you know, they've been pretty close in qualifying this year. And he, he sort of dominated that one to uh, to a greater extent. But, um, you know, it was pretty much the Max show for, throughout the whole race. He was never really under any... Any difficulty did his thing. Um, you know, it was a very, um, I think Martin Brundle during the commentary describes it as a Schumacher esque race. And I think in many ways it was. He just, you know, the slower he tried to go, he, the quicker he went, sort of thing, which I know is a, an oxymoron in a way. But uh, yeah, he, he just did a great job. You know, he was, he was all over it. And, um, you know, you got to give credit. Credit where credit's due. Uh, Max had a fantastic season and a fantastic race. And the whole Red Bull performance post summer break uh, to win all by one race was um you know dominant and very very impressive so you can't really knock them too hard for you know on that they, they did a job and they did it incredibly well um a couple of little other things going back in the background you know Charles drove a great race on a one-stop strategy to uh, to pit Checo there to uh, the second place in the standings which probably I think were deserved I think Charles has been, you know, on top of his game all year. Ferrari obviously have had some strategy issues per se, uh, and maybe not executed in the way that they would have liked at times. Whereas I think Checo maybe has just been off his game for some races. You know, he was pretty good at the start of the year, then they announced that multi-year contract extension, and he sort of went missing for sort of the second, second or the third quarter of the season he sort of dropped off a little bit but then came back strong towards the end of the year there with a with a you know win i think he won in was it singapore wasn't it and yep. uh, you know had a couple of other other good results so he he came back strong which i, I think he needed to because there would have been some uh, fingers you know and questions asked if he'd 
struggled at that much uh, having announced that long-term contract, or relatively long-term contract extension. So I think, you know, all things being equal, I think uh, Charles probably did just about deserve uh, that uh, that second place. And it was a fantastic race to do, to do, the, to do the race on a one-stop strategy. Um, you know, for a change, a good call on the strategy side by Ferrari. And, uh, yeah, they did a great job there. Um, a couple of final races, um, potentially for, for good. Others, maybe not so much. Um, starting, you know, at the back, Nicholas Latifi had his final race for Williams. Um, not a particularly stellar career, should we say. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of financial... Um, reward for Williams to, to run Nicholas over the last three years and you know he did a good job you can't you know, he did a solid job didn't dig up any trees didn't do anything amazing but did what he needed to do in, in, at times and he brought some money into the team um, through the takeover period um, with Dalton Capital coming in and um, you know he did okay but come come the first race of the next year uh, I hate to say it but people will forget who he was you know, in the nicest possible way um, Mick Schumacher's final race for Haas, um, which was a little bit clumsy there. He did tangle with Latifi um, in uh, three quarters of the way through the race there, and that was a little bit clumsy. But um, yeah, I mean, Mick's, Mick's done okay. You know, he, you look at back through Mick's history, he's always been a slow starter, but once he gets going, he's, he's done pretty well. And, um, you know, he. He wasn't terrible, but the problem is he was up against a you know a genuine teammate this year in, in Kevin Magnussen, and at times was just a little bit you know uh, off the pace and had a couple of those big accidents early in the year in Saudi Arabia and, and Monaco, and you know obviously that has an impact financially on a team like like Haas um, and. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You know, he was always on the back foot there and um, he just didn't have enough stellar moments to to really, I think, uh, you know, solidify his uh, you know, claim to that seat, unfortunately. And uh, I think he'll get a reserve driver role somewhere, potentially come back at some point. Um, I hope he does, because I think there is a little bit of a little bit more there than than maybe his performances at Haas have shown. I think Haas is a particularly harsh environment to be in for a young driver. I think um, as much as we love the Guntherisms, if you like, uh, that we see in social media, I think McGunter can be pretty harsh on people. And, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, I think maybe uh, Mickey is one of those guys that needs a bit of an arm around his shoulder and a bit of encouragement and a bit of... Uh, you know, a bit of guidance there. Maybe he didn't get that at, at the house. Um, and then the other two, uh, you know, potentially final races, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, final race for McLaren. After two years of a three-year contract, um, stepping away from, for, for at least a year, you know, he's very vocal in that he wants to return. Uh, looks like he's going to be a reserve driver, simulator driver for the Red Bull racing team um, in 2023. 
And, you know, but ironically, a really good race, solid race from again. Um, you know, got, got a P, P9, I think he finished, but, you know, good, a good battling drive. And it just, for whatever reason, maybe it's this new car, maybe it's whatever. It just hasn't quite clicked for uh, Daniel Ricciardo. And um, I think as a personality and as somebody that lifts the team and, and, you know, brings a good environment to a team, I think he's second to none on the grid in many, many ways. Um, but uh, hopefully he'll come back because, you know, he's definitely got something about him and, uh, you know, he deserves a drive. Um, you know, does he want to be in a back market team? Probably not. He probably deserves a little bit better, but the way the cards fell this year in the silly season, the driver market, it just didn't play out. Um, but of course, the big one, the big um, farewell, if you like, was to Sebastian Vettel. And absolutely, and Formula One went all out, and uh, it was wonderful to watch all yeah. the uh, outpouring of uh, just uh, just admiration for this guy yeah. who's uh, who's uh, done Huge. so much so much Huge. for the sport. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. it was really yeah. It was like yeah, he he went out with a bang, a lot of flair. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed I mean, uh, watching all this. Yeah, I mean, you know, Seb's thirty five. Um, you know, he's had a good career. You know, since making his debut for BMW Sauber, stepping in for um, Robert Kubica post kind of 2007, I think it was, when he had that big accident. Um, and Red Bull snapped him up pretty quickly uh, from underneath BMW's nose. And, um, yeah, you know, he's, he's had a great career. You know, there's obviously there's four world championships uh, in the early 2010s uh, in a dominant car, but, you know, you can only do so much. You can only do what you need to do. And then, of course, he made the decision to step away and, and go to Ferrari. And it never quite clicked from there. Uh, you know, had shots at the championship, had an opportunity, but never, never really, you know, never really, you know, the typical Ferrari, there was just that one step behind where Mercedes were through that turbo hybrid area, uh, or the majority of that hybrid era. Um, and then, of course, to... You know, Ferrari obviously were looking at how much they were paying him, how much they could pick up something like Carlos Sainz for, which was undoubtedly less money. And, you know, Carlos Sainz is a solid driver, and they made the call to to move Seb on. And he's found a home, he found a home at Aston Martin, which was a surprise to people, I think. But it, in a way, it sort of rejuvenated him as a, as a person, as much as a driver. I think the politics of Ferrari can be very, very... Um, harsh on drivers, especially when you're not part of the family in the same way that maybe Michael Schumacher was or Charles Leclerc is. You know, they're they're ingrained in Ferrari folklore, you know, through their driver development program and just through, you know, Schumacher's stature. Seb never was really there, but he tried very hard. You know, he was one of the guys that learned Italian. He got on well with the team. He got on well with his engineers and mechanics, but uh, you know, seeing him in the last two years at Red at, at Alpha, um, goodness me, Aston Martin. You know, he was obvious. You know, they were never in a car to compete for wins and podiums and pole positions and the like. But it, but you could just see that he was happier there. He was, he had all that weight of expectation taken off his shoulders, and he drove fantastically at times, especially post retirement announcement. Uh, you know, since he. You know, he announced that he was going to retire. He drove fantastically. Uh, you cannot take anything away from him. The way he's driven the the second or well, the final third of the season has been been phenomenal. Um, you know, I, I don't think you can say it any other way. And it's a real shame that he's going. Um, will he go? Will he be back? 
you know, Hamilton said that he expect, you know, he thinks he will come back. Alonso said he think he'll he thinks he'll come back, and and maybe he will. You know, he said he wants to spend time with his family. Uh, you know, he's got a young child now, and he's been married for a while. And he, you know, he, he said, look, you know, I've been doing this, you know, running around the world, you know, every other weekend for for almost fifteen years now, and now it's my wife's turn to do something, and he wants to support her, which is is fantastic. Um, but you know, no, I, I'm, I'm sure back? he's got a, I'm sure he's got a couple dollars in the bank that he can. Exactly. You know, let his wife. <laughs> yeah, have so, a son. But, but um, I really do think, I, I do think he will come back in one form or another. Uh, whether it is as a driver, I'd like to see, because I still think he's has a lot to offer. Would it be as a, you know, working for, you know, like filling that void that um, Dieter Matterschmitz has left at um, Red Bull? You know, Helmut Marko is, is not a young man. Um, you know, could Seb Phil step into that void? Um, or even maybe be looked at, you know, Mercedes to, to, to take him on to fill that Nicky Lauda role, which they've never really done um, since Nicky's passing a few years back. Um, you know, that could be an opportunity for Seb. But, but the other thing you've got to look at is, you know, somebody needs to see if the guy's got an American birth certificate because he'd make a great politician. And um, <laughs> he's actually a peer, you know, He's actually appeared on Question Time, which is a British political um, panel program. You know, not a comedy, not a, you know, magazine show. This is real, you know, they get politicians and activists and, you know, this is real serious business. And, and Seb was on there earlier this year. And, you know, not only was he on a political panel show, but he was on a political panel show with a, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, a tongue that wasn't his first native language, you know, and um, he was fantastic on it. So he, you know, I really do think, you know, that could be a route for he's, he's got so many options available to him uh, from a sort of selfish perspective. I would like to see him uh, back in a race car and, and competing there, but uh, whatever he does, you know, so will be very, very influential and um, be a voice of reason. I think, um, which he's proven over the last couple of years um, as he's matured and grown and yeah, undoubtedly a real loss. And it was really sad to see him step away, but uh, you know, whatever he does, it's, it's going to be great. And we, we, you know, we hope that it will impact, you know, motorsport in a positive way. Um, but uh, yeah, good luck to him. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say he's, you know, off the track, he's done a lot of, you know, kind of philanthropy, you know, philanthropy work and, uh, there's a lot of just, you know, drawing awareness to causes that he feels uh, need awareness drawn to them. You know, he was very uh, he was right there with um, with Lewis on the Black Lives Matter. He's uh, the, the, the whole the, the pride thing, uh, you know, supporting that. And he's um, just and, he, and like you say, he's an influential guy who when he speaks, he's not. Speaking, of, he really knows what he's talking about, you know. Yeah, he's, he he's really he's a he's yeah. a very, he's a very informed individual uh, with uh, with some strong viewpoints. And yeah, to your point, he'd make a great politician. But yeah, I'd love to see him back in racing in some shape or form, whether it be a, a you know administrative role with the team, a driver's coach, or something like that. But yeah, I'd I'd love to see him in a race car. You know, even would, you know, put him in yeah. the FIA. Yeah, you know, I, put him yeah. in there. Oh, you know, good lord! Yeah, let him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys that have uh, taken roles on like that. Um, Jackie Eeks comes to mind. 
you know, took uh, took a role as an official with the FII after his uh, driving career. And, and of course, you had uh, the aforementioned Nikki Lauda had an administrative role with uh, with Mercedes. So there's uh, the opportunity is there. But I, I feel like we'll see Seb uh, just take a couple of years um, to yeah. himself and his family. But, uh, you know, you know, as well as I do, there's a lot of the old timers in the sport that when they walk away, something draws them back because that yeah. uh, I mean, you know, that, that motor, motor racing pick, is in your blood, right? If you want to pick somebody that you put in your personally, I'll put in my top five drivers of, of 2022. It'd be Fernando Alonso. You know, at, at 41 now, to my mind, he, he's driven as well as he is he ever has done in the last 10 years, especially. You know, obviously the championship years, maybe. You know, but but um, you know, since he had that you know shot in 2012 with Ferrari, I think. He's, dri- he's driving now better than he ever has done. And, you know, he's shown that if you have that X factor, for want of a better word, that I would say half a dozen of the guys out there do have, you know, the Sebs, the Fernandos, Lewis, Kimmy to a certain extent had it. Um, you know, those are the guys that can push the envelope of performance a little bit further than most because, yeah, age catches up on them with certain aspects of their driving but they're mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing chumba casino this year i was only playing for fun so winning this was a dream come true chumba casino is america's number one social casino experience it's serious fun with over 80 casino style games to choose from you too could win life-changing amounts of cash be like mary log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void or prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Um, you know, th- there are other senses and there are other skills more than make up for what they may lose. I mean, you look at, you know, it wasn't the most successful uh, return, you know, for Michael Schumacher, but he's, he actually, his final year to my mind, 2012, um, he drove great. You know, he drove really, really well that final year of his three-year comeback. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about it. And I think the you know, the teams are starting to understand the experience of guys like Fernando and like Seb, um, you know, have a huge, huge benefit to the organization moving forward. Yeah, you've got to give uh, Schumacher a little credit for Hamilton's future success. Oh, for they're, sure. They're with Mercedes because, you know, Michael laid the groundwork. Yeah. And, and, you know, Lewis, I don't want to say. Yeah. You know, Lewis didn't do any development work on his own, but uh, he certainly reaped the benefits of uh, Michael getting the groundwork yeah. laid in there, you know. But if you want to, you know, look at, you know, just dropping back to Seb very quickly, to, to, the mark of a man, you know, obviously had all the post-race ceremony and, you know, all the adulation and all the interviews and all the press and everything like that. But after he'd done that, he goes back into the motorhome and debriefs for three hours with his engineers on the race. You know, there's no, you know, he didn't have to do that. He could have just said, right, see you guys. I'm off. Bye. 
but no, he he was professional to the end, and and he, I don't think you could ever, you know, obviously as he's you know when he was younger he had his moments, but I think as he's matured and grown into it, he really more so to my mind than anybody else active knows what it means to be a Formula One driver, and he, you know, he's he's fulfilled that obligation better than better than most. Absolutely, yeah. So now, I mean, the next question, obviously, since we're talking about these guys that have uh, been around, Alonzo moving to Austin Martin next year. Yep. What is, uh, I mean, you know, what does that look like? You know, that's going to be because obviously Seb elevated that team from where they were a year ago or two years ago. Um, so now that you're getting Fernando in there, who, again, like you said, is driving like a man 20 years his junior. Yeah. Um, so uh, you got to wonder, do these guys kind of push their way up to, uh, you know, around uh, you, know, you like the, the, the mid-pack teams and, and get themselves to that uh, number three spot there, number, you know, number three, number four? I mean, it is, it is difficult because, um, you know, Formula One, more so than most sports, is very much team driven you know that's your limiting factor is your, your car performance you know you can't take a, a a fifth or sixth place car in terms of performance and take it from 10th on the grid to, to second or third on the grid you know you could maybe take a car that's you know an average of 10th place qualifying and make it a seventh place or an eighth place qualifying so you're not going to see these like gargantuan jumps and leaps in performance but it's it's a cultural thing. It's a work ethic thing. It's a momentum thing. Um, you mentioned the work that Michael had obviously done at Mercedes to to help grow that team. And I'll put Ross Braun into that equation as well. Everything that, you know, both Michael and Ross, those foundations that they learned, they laid in early 2010 and 11 and 12 had a huge impact in the growth of that team. And, and that's what guys like Seb and Fernando can bring uh, to these organizations. The, the methodology and the way of working and the the focal point of everybody's attention because there's so many people that work in these teams now and I've been in them and it, it has happened. You know, you you lose the attention, you lose the um uh, what's the word, the 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 the, the philosophy, the, the 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 goal because you don't have that figure. And I think um you know, that's where Seb definitely over the last couple of years has really helped uh, Aston Martin because no disrespect to Lance Stroll, he was never that guy. Um, and, you know, in the same breath, Fernando will go in there. And and I think what you'll see is the performance, you know, again, not being overly critical, but I think, again, you'll see through 2023 and beyond that, that you know, Lance just is not a guy that can lead a team, you know, and, and this isn't being disrespectful, it's being factual, you know. He cannot lead a Formula One team to where his dad wants them to be. You know, he wants to build a Mercedes-like legacy. Well, sorry, as much as you don't want to hear it, Lance ain't that guy. And, you know, to but then to the same extent, you can't keep picking the, the, the Sebs and the Fernandes at some point you know, if if with the new facility that they're building at Silverstone and the recruitment that they've made with some of the engineers, it's just been, you know, very aggressive. Um, you know, at some point, you've got to go, right, we need a, 
Leclerc or a Russell or somebody that is going to be here for five to eight years as a driver and is going to take us from being, you know, at the top of the mid-pack and push us through and get us into that championship winning position. And, and you Lance isn't that guy fundamentally. No, no. Uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, Leclerc, certainly you mentioned could do that. Uh, even I would say, Lando Norris would be another. Yeah, Lando. Uh, if, if, if you're talking about yeah. talking about a, like a long-term guy and and George Russell, of course, but those guys are all in pretty good situations where they're at. Yeah. So for uh, uh yeah, so I was like, well, I mean, what's next after Fernando leaves? Are they gonna go ahead and coax Lewis out of retirement after he finishes up with Mercedes? <laughs> you know what I mean? So get Kimmy on the phone. So, hey, you, you know. know, Kimmy's uh. Have helmet will travel. So, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so anyway, so let's um, uh, let's move on from talking about Formula One. We do want to, want to, you know, get some of our uh, wrap up for the rest of the year. So, Louise, you've been quiet over there. Yeah, I was yeah. wanting to mention about how Ferrari didn't blow their opportunity when they had in front of them. They did something that Argentina couldn't. But that's the different topic for another time. Yeah, the we'll say we'll say that. Yeah, we'll yeah we'll say that for a World Cup podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so let me ask you this, Louise. While we're still kind of Formula One thought fresh in our memory, right? So you're you're a big fan of Checo. I know that. Um, and uh, you know, between the uh, animosity between him and Max, and uh, the hiring of. Um, Danny Ricardo as a reserve driver. Do you think Checo has anything to be worried about uh, in as far as if, uh, you know, he doesn't, you know, if he has a couple of bad races, that they'll put Daniel in a car. Uh, you foresee that happening at all, or do you feel like he's relatively safe? He's for now. He's relatively safe. Well, yeah, it's the off season. Yeah. No, <laughs> I just, no, I just, <laughs> When we get to the season, he can't have his mid-season skid at all. Cannot. And yeah. sh- and, w- and and his eyes, he better. He should. He's going to be better going to that mindset that he better not and will not go through a skid because the fact that he was he did something that that should acclimate him really well, keep doing a different tire strategy. He knows how to conserve it. The fact that came up sure wasn't necessarily ideal or great. In the eyes of him or Red Bull to get second because that still remains elusive to them. And he needs just to get off to that strong start like he did at the beginning of the year and stay that way. Otherwise, Ricardo will be knocking on the door, like I said. Even though I still stand, what happened in the was more or less that he just lost pace. He just did not have the speed. And that's why Ferrari and Alonso were able to get by him at the very end of the race. That's how I look back at the whole Interlagos thing, not this whole thing about Verstappen not letting him go, this and that, which has been been more clear that it was more of a miscommunication and just not well planned out. Right, mm. right. So, mm. all right. So let's so let's mm. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's recap a little bit of 2022 while we're, while we're here, right? And Louise, I'll start with you just because. You've been quiet over there, and that's usually the line I deliver to Richard. I know. So, but I know, right? But you should be uh, honored, Louise. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, looking back at the season as a whole, all all the series, 
what do you feel like the biggest surprise was? I'm not going to lie. I'm probably going to think I'm going to say Trackhouse Racing's emergence because at the very beginning of the year, I made this NASCAR prediction video that I'm still holding off doing a reaction of. I said that Trackhouse Racing will not be one of the new winners in the Cup Series. I thought they're going to be close. They're going to get better. But wins were not on my radar for either Daniel Suarez or Ross Chastain. Lo and behold, Chastain ended up winning two races and pretty much the story of the year at Martinsville. And then Daniel Suarez winning at Sonoma, where he was knocking at that door for a while. It was not necessarily expected to, to happen at Sonoma to get his maiden win. And, of course, Chastain making it to the championship four. Obviously, didn't win the championship, but both cars finishing in the top 10 of points was to be the biggest surprise of the year at a positive light. Then on a negative end, again, the inconsistency and incompetence of Andretti Autosport. They should be fighting for championships and wins on a much more consistent basis, but this season they just have been off. Even heard of was off compared to the past couple of years where people wonder why he doesn't have a Formula One ride or why does he have super license. You just look back at this past season alone and you'll yep. understand why. It's the harsh yep. reality of it. Yeah, I, th- I think not that, that, consistent enough. Yeah, that whole team is in a bit of disarray uh, because uh, people had high hopes for uh, Grosjean going in as an Andretti. Uh, driver, right? Yeah, he looked great uh, at Long Beach. Yeah, pe- pe- people that. predicted race wins for Grosjean, and, and that failed to happen. Rossi finally put a win in the books after uh, a couple of winless seasons, right? Herta only yeah. won once. Did Herta win once or twice? I think he, he won. won. He won the Indy GP. I think he that did. was it. I think that was it, yeah. yeah. He didn't um, win Laguna, did he? No, no that was Palo. No, 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 Palo yeah. won. Yeah, Palo nearly won yeah. winless till he won a uh, yeah, so yeah, the Andretti team has got some work to do. And, and again, we've talked about this. And I really want to say Michael's whole bid to get him a Formula One team has just distracted him from being the go-to guy uh, for the IndyCar team. You know, or, or just the size of his racing empire. You know what I mean? So I, I You know, it's like, like Penske can step away from his organization, right? Say, I've got to run the Speedway in the series, right? And Tim Sindrick, you're in charge, right? Well, one little, one little year. There's one poor one, year, wasn't there? Yeah, one poor year, but you know, not horrible. But then this year they come back and they've got, you know, a new garden with five wins, McLaughlin with three wins, willpower with a championship, um, with Penske being hands off, right? So, and that's, golly, Tim Sindrick, uh, again, uh, one of the most brilliant men I've ever had a chance to sit and talk with, but I, you mean, Michael lacks a guy like that to step up uh, if, when he's not hands on. And that's, that's what I think it boils down to. I mean, you know, other people say oh, it boils down to, they're not, uh, you know, they don't have the engineering staff that uh, Penske or Ganassi does or whatever. And it could be a combination of all that, but, but who's uh, responsible for hiring those people. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going with that. Yeah, so, yeah, said, last so, time I checked, I don't see people going for Andretti members. They've been going outside of or internally. Like, I mean, look at Petsky. I'm some of Petsky are going to McLaren now. Yeah. Andretti got to be careful because they're going to 
they're going to slip behind McLaren and, and even um, I, 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 I was going to say, Andretti's recruiting. my mind is behind. Uh, I feel like they McLaren, might be already. McLaren right now. Yeah, I think I think Andretti's behind McLaren right now. And uh, yep, yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, you know solidly. If you ask me, what the uh, pecking order was is Penske, Ganassi, McLaren, Andretti, and then yeah. then next next up would be Rayall. Yeah. Yeah, like it would be curious to see how McLaren does because obviously Felix had a full year this time compared to last where he missed about a race or two, and he actually had a quietly good, a quietly but good season this past season, this past year. So I'd be curious to see how much momentum will that carry to twenty twenty three for him. There was that period of time where it looked like he might have been borderline not be with that team. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He was uh, definitely looking at formula E, <laughs> you know, until yeah. the whole blue thing imploded, but I'd really interested to see how Rossi performs with McLaren. I, I wonder if a change of scenery will just suit him quite well. And he'll be back to the, you know, Rossi that we saw in like 2017 and 2018, where he was a threat to win the championship. That's, that's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it really be, it, but, but he's got some stiff competition amongst his own teammates between Pato, who we know is good. Felix is a, a very technical driver, and um, yeah, he can do well. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how the expansion of three cars either helps or hurts uh, – McLaren, it could it could go either way, but I, I'm really interested to see what 2023 fortunes come to Rossi because uh, you know they're they're guys that <laughs> about to write him off after he's, couple, he's on his last chance seasons. to learn, yeah. isn't he? More or less, yeah. So you know but, he doesn't but, have many more many more opportunities to uh, you know not deliver, should we say, than than he's had in the last. Three or four years, so yeah, it'll be interesting. Man, you were doing the preview show now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah. So all right. So less. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, recap: surprise in a good way, Trackhouse Racing. Surprise in a bad way, Andretti Autosport. Those who are keeping score. All right. So uh, for you, Richard, then your biggest surprise and your biggest disappointment, or Ooh, or goodness, or uh, I, I call it disappointment or just the shocker. Of the, uh, yeah, the bad, think, bad surprise, um, happy surprise, I, bad I, I surprise. Would, yeah, I think the disappointment to to you know pick on Luis that Andretti and, and again I've been very you know I've been very critical of him on the show but Colton Herder I think again just he, he's if he he's, we all know his talent but guy he's got to do better. That's my disappointment. I'd also put Kyle Larson not being in the championship four in in Cup Series as a Disappointment or surprise. Um, Kyle Bush's lackluster performance at, uh, you know, and moving to Childress. I mean, goodness me, I think if you'd told us all that 12 months ago, you'd have thought we'd been on the uh, smoking some herbal remedy or something, because that is, uh, nobody saw that one coming. Uh, but the, you know, the, the sort of feel good performance, I think, um, there's, been a, there's been a number, haven't there? You know, again, Trackhouse again was, was great. Um, you know, the, um, performance, I think McLaren, I think you know, we mentioned there, they had you know, in the IndyCar side, they were great. Um, 
you know, there's been, there's been a few, but there hasn't been really many that have massively stood out. Uh, I think George winning his first race was a huge boost for the sport. Uh, you know, he deserved that. And he's, you know, beating Lewis. I mean, goodness me, in his first year in the team, yes, admittedly, the car wasn't where they wanted it to be. So there's a lot of caveats there to, to Lewis's performance. But um, I think, you know, that's got to be a huge, huge plus for the sport in general. So, yeah, a lot of good, a lot of really, really good things this year. All right. So for me, one of my most pleasant surprises and it's not really shouldn't have come as a surprise but uh scott mclaughlin uh, yep. i mean i mean yep here's a guy who uh we you know you know we know he's a great driver right but uh being great in tin tops you know or the australian supercars doesn't always translate to the success in um open wheel racing where the cars are lighter faster brake quicker whatnot but uh the the way his his rookie season was Pretty good, man. You know what I mean? He won a pole, but uh, this year, I mean, three race wins. Um, he had a little little slump uh, in the year there, but uh, but overall, so here's a guy who's literally entering next year as one of the championship favorites um, after just uh, a couple of seasons in IndyCar. And uh, I think this guy's going to be around for a while, and he's going to be, you know, I, I don't want to say he's a uh, be the next Will Power or or Rick Mears or even Joseph Newgarden, but he certainly has that potential. I, I really uh, like the way the guy drives. I really like his personality. Um, I really like what he brings to the table. So uh, for me, it was it was awesome to see Scott get uh, uh, have such a wonderful season. You know, although it didn't culminate in a championship, he was right there to the end with a shot at winning the thing. Right. And then the other thing is Will Power, who last won a championship in 2014, just driving um, like a, a new man. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and uh, uh, yeah, sure, he had to, a lot of people always had a one race season. I said, yeah, but he was on a podium nearly every week. And that's that's how you put together a championship winning season. And uh, man, hats off to Will Power. I mean, here's a guy who uh, not only uh took the record for pole positions in IndyCar this year away from Mario Andretti, but sealed up a second championship. So those are two very pleasant memories of the year. Um, the, the bigger surprises, the disappointments, are the guys that went winless this year. Uh, number one being Lewis, right? Number two, yeah. Mar- Martin Truex. You know, here's, yeah. here's another guy we expect to win some races. And, and my other big disappointment was, Kurt Busch um, having to end his career not on his own terms. You know, that's, uh, yep. I, I hate it when it hap- when that happens to a guy and it does. It, it reminds me of the same thing with, uh, with Junior, who really hasn't ended his career because he still shows up every now and again. And uh, Dario. Dario. Um, Dario, yeah. But um, yeah, so uh, just seeing some of those guys that you would expect to be kind of in the thick of the, the hunt every year, year in and year out to go winless. A little disappointing. Yeah. And and Truex had a strong season. He just, because of that non-win, he ended up 17 for the final standings due to it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Cause they reset the points when they, when they get into the playoffs. So yeah, I think as far as collective total points, and that's how I'm going to refer it as it's like 
all of the playoffs didn't exist, they he would have finished like what seven, eight or four. I just view it as a total cumulative amount of points they collected at the entire year. And Truex collected seventh, eighth most points. Yeah, but even if even uh, given you know Martin's record the last couple of years, seventh and eighth is disappointing. You know, you know, not oh, to mention sure. not, not to mention the seventeenth that's actually in the record book. Yeah. No, that is that is certainly true. That is, now winning a race and especially in the equipment like Joe gets racing is a surprise. All right, so let's um, let's go on with this. What was the what was the race of the year? Oh, I know it's a tough one. Tough one. What was the one that just really took your breath away? And since you said, "Wow." Oh man, you could have given us some chance to prepare, couldn't you? Uh, I, 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 could, I could have, yeah. I don't, I don't have remember. a, I don't have a good answer in my head either. So I, I genuinely don't either. But I did like the Spring Kansas race where it basically boiled down to Kurt Busch and Kyle Larson towards the very end. I don't know There's something about that race that I actually. Like it's just how it fall, how it unfolded, stood out to me a lot. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yep. Richard, you got anything? Um, hmm. I I could say Austria and the F one front. That two races, the head, you know, the double header. I thought there were some great moves, some great overtaking there. Uh, you know, I'll never forget. You know, they're watching that race because Max won the sprint race on the Saturday. And, um, you know, on the radio, Charles turned around and said, oh, it's okay, guys, we've, we've, we've got him next to the, we've got him tomorrow, we'll win the race. And we're all sort of sat there thinking, whatever. You know, he was mild, you know. And, and you know, hey, Charles was right. You know, he could tell from how the uh, Red Bull was driving that, you know, they would be poor on the soft tyre over the weekend. and Oh, sorry, on the, on the medium tyre, I think it was over the weekend. And, uh yeah, I thought Austria was probably the highlight of the F1 race. Some of those early races as well, Abu Dhabi, uh, sorry, Saudi Arabia was a really good race as well with uh, those, those tussles between Max and uh, and Charles. And uh, yeah, I really wish we could see some more of those going into into next year that Ferrari can maintain that momentum and, uh, you know, we can have some really, really exciting close battles going forward. Yeah. So I, a couple of ones I'd like to point out would be, of course, <laughs> the crazy scrape the wall. Yep. Uh, Chastain thing in Martinsville. I mean, well, that was the best lap of the season. I wouldn't say uh, that was the yeah, best yeah, race of the yeah. season. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you take away the, the first, you know, 400 miles or so. But uh, yeah, but that was a you know, really interesting thing. They got a lot of conversation going on. And um, the IndyCar race at Texas, where, uh, <laughs> where New Garden just nipped the, nipped the win out of uh, yeah. McLaughlin's hands at the last moment, that was a. Uh, that was another really good one there, but yeah, we saw a lot of really good races this year. Um, Colton Herta winning in the wet at, uh, at the Indy Grand Prix was another real good one. Yep. Um, very interesting race to watch. So, <clears throat> so, uh, let's, uh, talk about, um, what was your favorite livery? Oh, it's, it's just kind of neat because you got these rotating liveries. You know what I mean? I can, mm. I can tell you, I can tell you what my least favorite was, was everything McLaren brought to Indianapolis. 
Um, oh God, with that, that <laughs> yeah. green, with, with that green in there, yeah. And I got to, I got to see the one car close up. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was just bad. Yeah, we. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, there were some really good looking race cars this year. I did like um, what they did with Will Powers. Uh, Verizon 5G car where they had the red on the front that faded to the black. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was best livery car. That's a good question as well, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think Penske always produced some good looking cars. Uh, I must admit, you know, you're right on the, uh, you know, some of those black and red Verizon cars, I think were pretty, pretty impressive. Um, I thought the one that, uh, you know, JGR did for, um, you know, Carl Bush's final race in the, in the 18 car there was, was pretty nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I don't think there's been many standouts, but yeah, I like some of the, the Penske ones, as you say, the Verizon cars, I think can often look pretty good. That black and red, black and red's always a good look for a race car, isn't that? It is. Yeah. Black and red. And the other, one of my other favorite, uh, color combinations is like green and black. You know, yeah. like if you, if you look back on, say, you know, like uh, interstate battery colors, those that, that I think that uh, and we've seen that with some other different sponsors, too, as well. Uh, I want to say Graham Rahal had a pretty good looking uh, green and black car this year with one of his, uh, you know, because I think Rahal has got the record for most liveries of the season. He's shows up with somebody different every week. Um, I can't remember who the sponsor was, but it was a good looking car. I think for me, mm -hmm. it would be a couple of the track house ones actually stood out, like especially the any of them that have the red and black colorings. That those always stood out to me. Even the one the McLaren F1 had at Abu Dhabi, that one was probably one of the more better exotic ones they'd done. A far a 180 compared to the one at with the IndyCar program at Indy, completely 180. Yeah, that's and that was that odd kind of camouflage green was uh whatever associate sponsor they had signed up with some sort of a clothing line. I can't even remember what they were called, but I just I'm like, oh my god. Ugh. Let's hope if this year's five hundred that I'm hopefully I'm there for the liveries look a lot better. I'll tell you what, you know, for for kind of just simple simple colors, but a neat little design. Erickson's Indy 500 car is pretty cool with the with the little mountains with the husky husky. Any chocolate. car that wins yeah. the Indy 500 tends to look pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, I don't. I don't know about Eddie Cheevers or even the years where they had them where they were mandated to have like a little box number like their freaking sports cars or motocross bikes. Yeah. Oh God, Eddie Cheevers, Rachel's potato chips. Yeah. So did you know they pay for that sponsorship in potato chips? Oh I think you mentioned it once, but yeah, they year. like they like mailed fifty cases of potato chips to the team, and they had them as a primary sponsor. There had to be money involved. I don't know. So, or there had to be. You won Indy. All right. So, what's the biggest story of the year? Okay, and I'll 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 I'll, I'll start this one off. I think the biggest story of the year for me is these couple of different contract disputes. Right. One with, of course, Alex Pillow and the other being with um, with with Gasly. Right. 
or not not Piastri. gas gas Oscar Piastri. Oscar Piastri. Piastri. yeah so uh it was just and that in my mind right it's significant because it kind of marks a, a different era for for you know drivers and their agents uh having a little more power over the teams than they once did uh to where we're so oh no we're we're gonna do our own thing we'll sue you you sue me you know and and in yeah this is kind of common in other sports uh, you know where you get the contract disputes and whatnot but it's it's a, it's been in motor racing before but but not to the extent it's been a while we, since we've seen it hasn't it yeah it's, it's where, 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 yeah set up for a reason right so where we have a team's announcing hey we've signed this guy for next year and then this guy says no you didn't and that that happened twice within a couple of months so i think that's pretty significant yeah. and and i don't know if that means that uh, uh you know the drivers have a little more control over their own destiny uh, uh or the or that the contracts the, the original contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on no yeah i think there's a bit of both in there, isn't there? i think there's a bit of both in there but uh I think for me, you know, obviously, yeah, you say the contracts and these contract uh, disputes were, were pretty fascinating. But I think the biggest story for me um, was was the Red Bull um, financial infringement for 2021 uh, and how that was handled. Uh, I think it really does highlight or reiterate that, and we've maybe lost it a little bit in the last few years. This this whole concept of the Piranha Club, you know, the the sort of the the nomenclature that was given in the uh, early to late nineties and early two thousands about the ruthlessness of Formula One, it, it's all gone a little bit softer over the last few years on the political side, and it's certainly reared its head again a little bit. And uh, to look at what Red Bull were accused of and how that was handled in the media and by certain other team principals, not pointing any fingers at Toto Wolf, um, but you know it was. It was messy, and as it turns out, yeah, it wasn't as bad potentially as everybody made it out to be. It was as much, or the vast majority of the overspend was actually a, a tax error on Red Bull's part rather than actual overspend. So it was bad, and it wasn't right. And you know, they they certainly do need to to suffer for it because you know that's how the sport works, and you need rules for a reason. Um, but it's interesting to see how we go forward with that now and where the team play. And I, again, I think the more transparency you see in the sport, especially on the financial side, the better it will be because we need to know why teams have advantages and you know where the money's going. Uh, and hopefully, over the next few years, it will start to balance the the sport out, and uh, you know we'll start to see a more level playing field, and it will really kick in. Absolutely, yeah. So, Louise, your your big story of the year. You mentioned all the big ones. I think I, I'll stick with the stock car with the influx of injuries with the current car with these hard hits. I don't think it, I think that was the biggest concern that I had when everything was ho-hum and quiet about why nobody talking about this, why and when even some of the damage damages as far as testing is concerned, there was some concerning because you always want stuff to absorb or dissipate in a car. And in this one, we've seen it from time to time, but not enough in the sense where drivers feel okay. Some drivers said their impacts were worse than they ever had in their entire careers. I look at Chris Busher's tumble in the 600, what looks like a very 
minor flip turned out to be worse than some people thought. And then with obviously you had Kurt Busch, Cody Ware, to name a few that Alex Bowman that missed races over hard hits with the current car. They got to improve on that. I think with the drivers being very vocal about it, it does help bring a realization that, hey, look, if we don't get it together, we're going to, these drivers may walk at some point for all we know. And guy, well, you guys, we, yes, some people will look at the stuff Hamlin or Harvick are saying. It's always oh, just complaining for the sake of complaining, but there's some validity in, into it in my eye. And I think that to me is the story that stood out a ton. Uh, obviously, the other one is Kyle Busch and Joe Gibbs Racing not finalizing a deal. And we talked about it already multiple times where, and, and I feel like we may, hopefully for Danny Hamlin's case, he does have to go injured the similar stuff that Kyle had went through, but time will tell. Absolutely. So now generally speaking, before we do the last show of the year, I listened to last year's last show of the year uh, to uh, go ahead and get your guys' bowl predictions for next year and then see how well that came out. Then I listened to last year's show that I remembered that as soon as we finished up last year's show, and said goodnight. I said, oh, shit, we forgot to do bowl predictions. So guess what? <laughs> let's, let's not forget that this year, okay? So, <laughs> I was excited. I had them ready, and then it didn't happen. I, I know, right? We did them all off, off air. So, But uh, yeah, let's make sure we get those in tonight. Um, we are over our time, but uh, then again, we usually go over our time on our last uh, show of the year. So uh, before we sign off, let's get these bowl predictions in. So uh, so next year we can talk about it. So, uh, Louise, I'll start with you since you say you got yours ready. Okay, I got three. Shane Van Giersbergen will drive a NASCAR race on a national level. One. Okay, okay. I don't know who that is, but... Supercar, supercar. Super yeah. Oh, okay. All okay. right. There yeah, you so, go. Nice. That that's a good series. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, Shane Van Giersbergen will make a NASCAR start. Number two, Fernando Alonso will actually score fewer points with Aston Martin than he did this season with Alpine. Okay. Not a whole, not a whole lot, but few points. And then finally. I say Colton Herta will finish in top five in points with only one DNF in the entire uh, year. Okay, that's that's not bold, but okay. Well, that's <laughs> sort the of bold, bold yeah. is if he gets one retirement and finishes in the top five, yeah, so that adds the challenge. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, that's yeah. provided Andretti gets their stuff together. So, Richard, bold predictions for next year. Bold predictions for next year. Let's start with Formula One. Let's have some bold predictions for Formula One. Uh, Let's have a think. Lewis doesn't win another race again next year. And George Russell Russell beats him again. Um, uh, On the NASCAR side, Jimmy Johnson wins the Daytona 500. Okay. Okay. Uh, on an IndyCar side, ooh, let's have a thing. What do we got on the IndyCar side that could be bold? 
Um, I've got mine, but I'm not giving you mine. Grosjean wins a race. I don't know if that's bold or not, but uh, we'll go with that. Well, I mean, you know, provided again, like I said, Louise and Trinity gets her stuff together, okay? Yeah. So my, I thought it's a bold prediction. So my bold prediction for IndyCar is that McLaren wins a championship. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be Pato or Alexander or Felix, but my bold prediction is that McLaren wins a championship. Uh, on the NASCAR side, I, I really don't have a lot that, that, that I will consider bold, but um, I'll, I'll say Ty Gibbs wins a couple of cup races, more than one. And then Formula One, boy, it'd be really bold to say Ferrari gets the championship, huh? Yeah, it would. It would be that will require competence. Well, it, exactly. And, yeah, but that, but yeah. that's, but that's certainly bold. Yeah, and it's just a matter of which who's going to be running it because there's that rumor of a uh, Benato getting shut the door for the guy that said Aston Martin. I mean, Alfa Romeo. Vasa. Yeah, Vasa. Yeah, I, I don't think Benotto is going anywhere. I don't think. I, think I don't. Lot, I don't think, think so, anywhere. and I think. Yeah, I don't think so, and I think getting P two probably helped that a lot too. In my book. Mm, possibly, obviously, the financial reward to that, but uh, I think that a lot of what you're seeing on the criticism of Ferrari strategy is. You, you we, we talked about this. You know, you look at what Mercedes do. You look at what Red Bull and. They've been so good from the performance side for so long that they start to pick up, you know, the the higher hanging fruit, if you like. They got all the low hanging fruit down with the performance of the car, so that just leaves you know teams like Red Bull and Mercedes to be able to go to that next percentile and start picking through these smaller issues. Ferrari haven't had that opportunity you know, because they've been spending so much resources into actually getting the car quick and getting into a position to compete. That it's like, okay, great, we've got a quick car now, guys. Awesome, yeah. Oh, shit, now we've got to work out a good strategy. You know, so that'll come. That'll come. I, my personal opinion is that is a lot of the negativity towards Ferrari's strategy and the management at Ferrari has been very over, overblown and that it's something that will be a natural progression because these things are hard. Strategy is hard. Everybody sits there as a Monday morning quarterback and says, oh, they should have two, you know, two stops or they should have gone into wets at this time. It's... I don't think anybody making those claims has ever sat on a Formula One pit wall and had to make that call. No, they they've not had to do it in the heat of the moment. It's always it's always easier to to say after the fact you shoulda. Yeah. Yep. So, absolutely. I, so, I think a lot of criticism that way is very unfair, and I think I, I think Binotto's responsibility is to make a quick car, and undoubtedly they did that this year. As I said, the other bits will come. If they hadn't had a quick car, and the strategy was good, yeah, his job would be on the line. But I don't think you can question him purely based on strategy. All right. So to recap, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> me, me, me saying Ferrari will a championship is an incredibly bold pick. So, and, and we'll see. I mean, I, you know, I pulled one out of my butt a couple of years ago when I said, uh, if Takuma Sato signs with Andretti, he'll win the 500 in 2017. And I got that one, right? So, 
But anyway, gosh, guys, it's been it's been a great racing season. It really has. We've seen a lot of uh, really cool stuff. We we've said goodbye uh, to some uh, uh, legends of the sport, like uh, you know both the Unser brothers and and uh, uh, so, some others that that have passed on. Um, we've said goodbye to the, the cockpit to guys like Sebastian Vettel and and Kurt Busch. And uh, we wish them well in, in, in their next steps. Um, we've had a couple of great guests on this year, uh, but, but, you know, mostly I enjoy talking to you, Louise and Richard. Um, I want to thank Mark Dill for coming on today. Talk about his book again. His website is markgdill.com. Go ahead and buy his, uh, either his um, adult version of the, uh, Legend of Super Speedway, or <laughs> careful or, how you describe that. <laughs> okay, the grown-up version. I don't know, or, or the child's book, right? <laughs> the adult version. Yeah, that sound like uh, Marcus. Uh, uh, yeah. No, well, he said there's a little language in there, so some some folks uh, are offended by language, but uh, I'm not. And uh, Mark is a brilliant historian, and he's a great writer as well. And I really appreciated him coming on. So. Um, I want to thank Who's the Radio Network, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Google Podcasts, uh, and iTunes. Uh, but most of all, I want to thank you folks who listen to us. But uh, we're going to take uh, several weeks off. Enjoy the holidays. You know, happy Thanksgiving. Merry Christmas. Um, and we'll be back you know, around about, you know, Rolex 24 time or Daytona 500 time. Somewhere right in there. We'll, we'll see how things play out, but uh, but until then, uh, you know, good night. Who? 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 Who?